The resurrection of Jesus was a real event in space and time. Of course, it was completely unexpected. The original witnesses, the first witnesses, were unprepared for it. It was shocking both to them and, of course, to us still today. But just because it was unexpected and just because it was shocking doesn't make it any less real. If you follow the lines of evidence back to uh, the first century, it becomes fairly clear that this was something that really happened in the course of space and time, so much so that we can actually speak of still today. The fact of the resurrection, the historicity of that event. But this morning, we're not going to so much be focusing on the fact of the resurrection, but it's, its meaning, its meaning. Think of it this way. Let's just assume for a minute that you do, in fact, believe that Jesus, on that Sunday morning, rose from the dead. That's what you believe. It's where you are. Let's assume that for a moment. Why is that vital? Why is that important? What difference does that make? What is its significance? That's an important question, really important question, and it takes us to our text here today, the very last installment in this long series through the Gospel of Matthew, a passage that is oftentimes described as the Great Commission, the Great Commission coming immediately on the heels of the resurrection as far as how Matthew records it. So Matthew 28 is where we are here this morning. Matthew 28, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. If you have a Bible, follow along with me. If you would, this is the first book of the New Testament. It's the last chapter of the first book, Matthew chapter 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, let's uh, stop before we go any further and pray for just a moment. Lord Jesus, thank You for recording these words. We thank You for the gospel of Matthew. We thank You for working in that tax collector, for Your calling him forth from his publican's booth, working in the ways that You did in the, um, in the years preceding that in his life, uh, working in his circumstances, working in his heart such that you stirred something in that call when you said, come forth and follow me, and he did. And years later, uh, he wrote this gospel uh, that we have here before us today, uh, translated and disseminated into so many different languages and places around this globe. And we thank you for the study that we have been able to be in, and we thank you for where we are here this morning. Thank you that we could be taking just a few minutes at the start of the day, the start of the week, to look at here this last part of this gospel, a very significant part, um, the way he ends it, and more importantly, the way you worked through Matthew to draw this book to a close. And we ask that you would help us to hear 
Uh, we ask that you would help us to really, really listen and to pay heed to these words. Uh, we need this, every one of us, whether it's the umpteenth time or the first time that we have heard them. Oh, would you make it as if it was the first time. Land upon us afresh, we pray. We ask these things in your name, O oh Lord Jesus, this morning. Amen. Big events, big events have big effects, right? Big events have big effects, and the bigger the event, the bigger the effect. So here's some examples. Uh, we would certainly say that the, the invention of the steam engine was a big event with big effect, or you could say the rediscovery of the Greek New Testament some several hundred years ago led to a big effect, and you could call that the Reformation, among many other things. Uh, you could say also the achievement of the Apollo space program was certainly a big event, but having great, great big effect. So you get the idea. The, 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 the greater the event, the greater the effect. Well, the greatest of events and the greatest of effect was the resurrection of Jesus on that first Easter Sunday morning. Now, how could I say that? That's quite a statement, right? It really is quite a statement, something to really, you know, draw a line in the sand, plant your flag, however you want to put that. That's quite a statement to make, a bold statement to make, but it needs to be said. The, the resurrection of Jesus, the greatest event with the greatest effect. How can we say that? Well, just think with me just for just a moment. Because of the resurrection, we have hope in the face of death itself. We can have the deepest of assurance in the midst of the worst of suffering. Creation and our physical bodies themselves are affirmed in their value and because of the resurrection, the physical resurrection of Jesus. And therein we know we should be taking care of our bodies and being good stewards of this environment. And I could go on and on and on and on in terms of the implications and the significance of the resurrection, because it's such a big event, it has these massive, massive, shaking implications and effect upon our lives. And it's, we, come, we see that here in our text. We see that here in our text, uh, where Matthew is describing and putting forward uh, to us what is, again, oftentimes described as the Great Commission. The resurrection, here in Matthew 28 leading right in there to the Great Commission. Now, the Great Commission is far more than just a sequel. It's far more than just, you know, one, little, one more thing that happens in chapter 28 before he signs off and drops his, his pen. Now, the, the resurrection leads to the Great Commission. The Great Commission is a consequence of the resurrection. The one leads to the other. And Matthew is very intentional about this. He really wants us to see this. There were other post-Easter, post-resurrection appearances by Jesus, and we have those recorded for us in the other Gospels, and Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians 15. But Matthew chooses to list just this one, just this one, and the reason he does so is with great intention and great purpose. It's as though he wants us just after the resurrection, as a consequence of the resurrection, it's as though he's putting this before us in this way. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Whatever you do in terms of your understanding of the significance and the meaning of the resurrection, don't miss this. 
These events here in Matthew 28 are closely tied together, inextricably tied, wed together. The resurrection and the great commission. Put it this way, Jesus is the risen king. Jesus is the risen king. Look into the grave. He is not there. The tomb is empty. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Jesus is the risen king, which means we need to heed his commission. He is the risen king, which means we need to heed this commission. Now, what would that mean to heed this commission, to take it seriously, to to live it out? Well, Matthew shows us here in this this passage. It's there in your outline if if you looked at it as we sent it out yesterday. These three things in terms of what it means to heed this commission of the risen king. First, recognizing his authority, the authority of the king. The second thing is, not just that, but heeding the assignment from the king. And then thirdly, hearing and embracing this assurance by the king. So you have the authority, the assignment, and the assurance, all from the king. Let's look at these things in in turn. So first, the authority of the king. What does Jesus say? It's quite stunning, uh, quite stunning when you really hear his words here. Verses, I'm going to go back and read verses 16 through 18. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You hear that? He is king and ruler over all. Over all. It's quite a statement. You consider the inclusiveness of that. What is the source of his authority? Where does it come from? Well, it's not taken. He didn't grab it. He didn't seize it like through some military coup or conquest. No, not at all. His authority was given to him. It was given to him. This is, the fulfill- this is the fulfillment of what we read earlier in Daniel 7, where the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days and universal power and everlasting dominion is given to him. It's just amazing to consider that. This, so that's the source of his, his authority. It's where it comes from. But what is its, its scope? How, how far does it reach? How far does it go? That's worth considering as well, being very clear on this. No longer is Jesus' authority and rule and dominion constrained or hemmed in in any way whatsoever. Now think, you go back and read the gospel accounts before Easter, before the resurrection, and the, the, the scope of his authority was, if you will, somewhat uh, checked. It was hemmed in. It was constrained, but not now. Not now. It's, it's, it's being shown forth in the full, not constrained, but cosmic. All authority in heaven and on earth, that is to say, from the nearest atom to the farthest star, nothing, nothing is excluded. Every moment Every matter, every problem, every plan, every purpose, all things. He holds all things together. As we sang earlier, Colossians 1, he holds all things together, such as the authority of the risen king, such as the rule of Jesus. 
the scope, the source, the scope of His authority. Now, what do we do with this? And just thinking in terms of the significance of this. Well, as we go, as we go as ambassadors of the gospel, as heralds of the kingdom, we need to keep in mind who it is that has sent us and who it is that represents us. And as we think about that, and as that really begins to settle in, it will have a dual effect upon our hearts, our minds, and the way we speak and live. On the one hand, it should deeply humble us and greatly embolden us, recognizing again who it is that is sending us, who it is that we represent, and whose name we go. It should deeply humble us and greatly embolden us at the same time. Or put another way, we, should, we go forth not with any spirit whatsoever of arrogance and yet without apology. You see, it's the, same, it's the, the two things at the same time. Recognizing who it is that sends us, whose ambassadors we are, it should do all those things. It should soften us and steal us both at the same time. Such is the authority of Jesus, the authority of the one who sends us. He is the risen king. Therein we need to heed his commission. That's the first thing, well worth our paying attention to, the authority of the king. But that takes us into the second thing, the assignment. What is it that we are charged to do, to be and to do? Well, that takes us uh, into where we left off. I'm going to read verse 18 now, but just going a little further into the passage, into verse 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, we'll stop there. What is the, the focus of this command? What is it about in its essence when you boil it down? We need to understand that it's, it's actually one command, though in the English, when you first read it, it comes off looking like it could be as many as four. But actually in the Greek, it's just one. In the original language, the Greek, it's just one command, and that is to make disciples. To make disciples. Okay, well then we need to back up here and ask the question, what is, what, what is a disciple according to the New Testament? What, what is a disciple? A disciple would be someone who has heard the call of Jesus and responded by repenting, believing the gospel, and following Him. Let me say that again. A disciple of Jesus is someone who has heard the call of Jesus and responded by repenting, believing the gospel, and following Him. That's a disciple. So then, to make disciples, that's the essence, that's the core, the focus of the charge of the commission. To make disciples, then, means that we are to go forth heralding the news of the kingdom and taking people, walking people through the path of maturing as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus themselves, leading them along that path. So that's the focus, that's the essence, that's the core of the commission. What does it look like? How does it unfold? What is the process? Well, that's where you move from the imperative, make disciples, 
to the participles, okay? And those are those other three words that look almost like commands in the English, but are actually more modifying that key command. So what are the means? What are the means that we see here? Well, there are three, and you can see it there. We read it just a moment ago. There are three in verses 19 and 20. So the first one is to go, is to go. Don't wait. Go take the initiative. That's the first thing. The second is to baptize, meaning to encourage a public confession of Jesus as Lord. So go, baptize, teach, to teach, to teach, to enable, to encourage people, to equip them to take in and live out of everything Jesus has taught and continues to teach through the Scriptures. Everything, excluding absolutely leaving out absolutely nothing. So that's, that's the means. That's the process. That's what it, it looks like. Now, how far does that go? How far does that go? Uh, there, how far do we go with, with this? Well, Jesus tells us that as well, to all nations. To all nations. Everyone needs to hear this. Everyone needs to hear this. Everyone has been hardwired with a need for the gospel to hear the good news of the kingdom. So all need to hear this, and, and coupled with that, Jesus is worthy of the praise of all mankind. And so we go forth to all nations. Okay, so that's the assignment. That's the focus. That's the, uh, the means. That's uh, how we carry it. It's the what and the how. The what and the how of this assignment that we have been given. Now, what, what do we, how do we need to think about this before we go on any further? I think we're honest. If we're, if we're honest, many of us would have to acknowledge at this point that our vision regarding this commission is far too small. It's far, far, far too small. We, we think this way, whether we would ever dare voice it, we oftentimes do think at least this way. Maybe we don't speak it. But, well, surely not them, this group of people. They vote the wrong way. Surely not her. Not after what she did, not after what she said. Surely not him. Don't you know his story? Don't you know where he came from? The early church, in many respects, struggled with the very same thing, drawing lines where there were no lines to be drawn whatsoever. And, and, and we do the very same thing ourselves in our own way, robbing people of the gospel and robbing Jesus of His glory. Again, this is the assignment that, that we have been given, to go forth teaching all things to all nations, to all nations. Jesus, again, is the, is the risen King. We need to hear and heed this commission, which takes us into the last point, and that is the assurance. So not just the authority of the King and not just this assignment from the King, but when you really hear the importance of this charge and the immensity of its scope, it ought to leave us staggering, right? When you're, if we're really hearing what Jesus has said here in terms of its importance and the immensity of this commission and this charge and the stakes that are involved, it ought to just cause us to stagger. And so Jesus speaks these words of assurance. Jesus then speaks these words of assurance. He begins with this promise, a promise that in many ways should be so familiar to us, familiar words. 
I will be with you. Now, how many times have we heard that in the Old and New Testament, that promise? That's the Emmanuel promise, the Emmanuel promise, God's promise to be with His people, pictured so beautifully back in the Old Testament with the tabernacle and the temple and the prophets speaking of it. And then you just think in terms of how Matthew has bookended it for us in his gospel. There in Matthew 1, you have the words of the angel as he comes to Joseph and and tells Joseph who this is, this child that Mary is carrying within her womb. And his name will be called what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now, that's the first chapter of Matthew, and now here we are at the last chapter. And we're hearing these words, this promise again. Again, that I will be with you. It's a wondrous thing. It's a wondrous thing. It's, it's the impetus. It's the, it's the encouragement. It's the spark to send us on our way. Go, go, I will be with you. Don't be afraid. Go. But it's not just that. It's also our experience as we go. It's as though Jesus is saying to us at one and the same time, Go, I will be with you, and as you go, as you lean upon me, as you learn from me, I will be with you. It's the, it's the cause, it's the nexus, it's the, the, uh, the part of our experience in, in the going as, as well. Such is the assurance that we have from the risen King. Oh, that we would, you and I, that we would really know that promise, that we would really embrace this assurance from our King and the extent as to how far it goes. Um, so let me just talk about that extent for just a minute. The, the, the duration of this command, is it just for the 11? No. No, it, go, it begins with those 11 and goes on and on and on into our day and beyond as, as well. You have the, the, the duration of the command goes as far as the, the commission. Uh, or excuse me, the encouragement, the assurance. The assurance goes out over the horizon. Well, so too does the commission. So too does the command. They're coupled together. They're coupled together, the command and the assurance that we are given. And that assurance, the breadth of that, well, literally what Jesus says here is, I am with you all the days. I am with you, literally, I am with you all the days to the end of the age, meaning in all things, At all times, I am with you. I am with you. Such is the depth, the breadth, the beauty, the wonder of this assurance that the risen king is giving to us. I don't know if you noticed this in the course of this commission, as we've been reading this through verses 18 through 20, but four times, four times, Jesus uses this word all. Now, it doesn't come out immediately in the English. That's why I tried to highlight as we were moving through. But four times Jesus uses this word all. He says, all authority has been given to me. He says, go forth to all the nations, teach them all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you all your days. Such is the comprehensiveness of this assurance and his presence with us. Such is the, uh, the exhaustive nature of this calling that we have and the comfort that we have, which means what? It means that we are never on our own. We are never on our own, which means then 
that we never need to act as though we're on our own, right? It means that we're never on our own, and therein it means we never need to act as though we're on our own. We never need to look to ourselves. We never need to rely upon our own ideas, our own cleverness, our own skills, our own abilities, our own strength. But Jesus, Jesus is our assurance. The sole steady assurance that we have, such as the assurance from the risen king. And that's every bit as important as this great commission that he has given to us as the risen king. One last thing I want to point out before we go. Who is Jesus speaking to? Who is he speaking to? How are they described? Well, verses 16 and 17 again. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, and it goes on from there. Did you notice that? They worshipped him and doubted. Now, Matthew is not describing, please be clear on this, Matthew is not describing two different groups of people, a group of worshipers and a group of doubters. No, it's, it's one conflicted group doing the same thing at the same time, worshiping and doubting. Well, what does that tell us? Somehow, at the same time, they are professing and perplexed. They are confident and confused. They believe They believe in the reality of the resurrection, but they're hesitant in understanding and therein living out its significance. They can see Jesus standing right there in front of them, their resurrected Lord. But they don't know what to do with this. And so Jesus tells them. Jesus tells them, and this is so vital for us to hear. So important, so good for us to hear. He does not wait. He does not wait for us to get it and graduate on. He does not pause for our perfect understanding and for the penny to drop all the way down. No, not in any way at all. Now, why not? Because he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to. Not at all. He gladly takes us as we are, perplexed and confused and hesitant. He gladly takes us as we are, sends us forth into this world to turn that world upside down, or or better yet, make it right side up. He's the risen king. We need to heed his commission. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, the, truly the tomb is empty. Still, you are risen. Still, you are ruling. Now, you have called and commissioned us as your disciples. Your work of living and dying in our place is finished. But your work of sending and drawing people to yourself continues. And it's an amazing thing that you would include us in that. 
It is an amazing thing that you would do this, and not in a cookie-cutter way, but in individual, tailored, personal ways. Each one of us, each one of us involved in this commission somehow. So we ask, oh Lord, that whatever shape faithfulness would take for each one of us, that you would help us from our hearts truly with all earnestness and honesty and openness before you to say, here I am, send me. Whatever that means, whatever it entails, help us to gladly, with open hands and trust and expectancy, be able to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Even now, even now, in this age, this time, this season of social distancing, help us to think creatively about what that means and be on with a vision of expectancy when the bands are lifted and we can move about in the ways, to some degree at least, to what was before and in new ways, in new ways too. But to have in mind and to be moving towards what this means for any and every one of us, individually and collectively, to be heeding and hearing this commission. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.